Welcome to Rogue Bogues, episode nine, the basketball podcast. Myself and Mike, how's it going? Bogues, doing all right, man. Trying to just live through this uh, ice age in, uh, in Texas. Yeah, I saw that. Pipes bursting, people not knowing what to do. Not something that you guys are accustomed to usually. Yeah, it's not. And, you know, people are going a little bit nuts. And um, from Boston originally and lived in Chicago for a while, it's only about four inches, but like no plows and, you know, they don't really know how to deal with anything over a dusting. And even in a dusting, they they struggle. So four inches of snow is uh, a little bit out of, their, out of their realm, you know? A big panic. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have some good news. We have 100,000 listens to this podcast total. Obviously, not just all basketball, but basketball's contributed to about 50,000 of that, which is fantastic. So, a little bit of room for celebration. We've done a pretty good job and slowly building this little baby into to something bigger. Yeah, it's been fun, man. I think the the responses, you know, at least I think we've we've done what we said we we're going to do. We're going to be honest and talk, you know, talk stuff, you know, talk the truth about or at least our version of it of of what's going on in basketball and, you know, I think it's been fun. I, I like uh I like going back and forth with our listeners. It's good. Yeah, and thank you to everyone that has subscribed, that has shared. Uh we love having the Q&As come through and we um we think keeping it interactive with our listeners has made this show what it is today so keep that up but let's get rolling i've uh, got a pretty long spiel to get through so bear with me pro mm-hmm. i mentioned on on social media that i was going to be touching on the nbl the national basketball league and and let me give people some background when i signed with the sydney kings uh two and a half years ago now for the 2018-19 season a portion of my contract was that i would have 10 percent ownership in the sydney kings upon retirement if I didn't take that, I would then just get a cash settlement and walk away. It has come to a point where I can now take that up and there's been a few issues with that. So long story short, let's go. Okay, so this isn't a, a rant to go and, and and you know shit on the NBL. I'm, I'm, I want to be involved in the NBL first and foremost. I see it as a, a great league that's building, but there is some issues that we need to get through and, and there's positives and negatives. So I will take it on the positive route first. Larry Kesselman, fantastic job buying the league in 2015, spent $7 million to acquire the league. Now he was a, an owner of the, a minority owner of the Melbourne Tigers and then had bought that franchise, turned it into Melbourne United, changed names, and then a few years later had bought the league. So obviously writing a check for that amount for basketball, fantastic. The league, who knows where it'd be without that big investment. So that's definitely a positive. He has invested money to grow the league, especially early on. I think, um, you know, trying to get media involved, paying for articles at times and TV production and all that, fantastic. Um, This has been mentioned numerous times. So, so Larry um, has done a great job investing, but it has been mentioned year on year on year on year. So, everyone's definitely aware of it. Competition has gotten much stronger. We now are in a position where former NBA players, even fringe NBA players now look at the NBL in serious consideration. Whereas I think five years ago, they wouldn't even wouldn't even bother. Uh, we all know it's it's not as high paying as China and EuroLeague, but I think people have looked to it as a stable league. You know, you're going to get paid what's on paper. English speaking, a very competitive league and LaMelo Balls and RJ Hamptons of the world have proven that it's not an easy league because they didn't, they didn't come over here and put up massive numbers night in, night out and win a lot of games, but they definitely had good years and, and now are playing very well in the NBA. So competition is doing fantastic as far as that goes. I think it's the most competitive it's ever been in the history as far as player talent. Our homegrown talent now is starting to stay local, which is a fantastic sign. Josh Giddy's a prime example, playing with Adelaide, potential first round pick in next year's draft, elected to stay in the country and play in the NBL, not go to college, not go to EuroLeague, not go to China. 
It's great. Larry got it back on 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 free to air TV. Even though it wasn't a paid deal, it was it was back on free to air TV. So that's a, a big move where you didn't have to pay for a specific service to catch a few games here and there. The fans. Loyal, passionate, they've seen it all. The league was almost bankrupt a number of years ago. Teams have gone under numerous times over the last 30, 40 years, but the fans are a passionate group. They know their basketball and they enjoy coming. The attendance is growing year on year. We've seen that, especially since Larry has taken over, which has been a fantastic job. So I think the NBL's done a, a decent job in pushing media placement, especially early on. I think it over here, Pro, I think sometimes you have to invest in the media and lose some money to then get more media down the track. So it's kind of the long game and, and sometimes you got to pay for ad, ad placement and even pay for people to do articles on, on your league or a player or a coach and, and that's worked out well. And finally, the Next Star program, that's the, the program that the Lamello Balls of the World came through where the, the league funds basically their salary and their living expenses and then if there's a buyout down the track or they get drafted, the league then gets that money but it doesn't cost the club um, much money at all. And that was, a, from what I understand, an agent suggestion to the NBL a number of years ago. He was adamant they should do something like that and the NBL listened and did it and Jeremy and Larry put, put together that Next Star program, which I think has been probably one of the most successful add-ons that they've implemented. So, they're the positives pro. Um, that's that's kind of where all that lies. So, I don't want people to think that I'm just sitting here shitting on the league. I'm well aware of what Larry's done. I'm well aware of, of, of the good things that they have done. But I mean, you'd agree, Pro, with all, with all things, you, you, there are negatives and you need to address those negatives to grow, whether it's a business or a team or a league, right? I think you have to self-reflect on anything that you're trying to do, you know, to, to grow. And you have to be able to take criticism. You have to have to, you know, especially take a step back and especially have some people that maybe from the outside are looking in and giving you honest feedback on your product, for sure. I'm just going to like listen to you because I, I did read about some of the comments and things in the last week or so. And you know, I definitely want to, you know, hear your your side of things for sure. So, here's, here's the stuff that um, that irks me and that I get fired up about. Um, it can be deemed as negative. To me, it's a negative isn't always a bad thing because I think, as, as we just discussed, it's something for you to improve on and, and no league's perfect, no owner's perfect, no, I'm not perfect, right? So, we all make mistakes. So, as I said, Larry has invested his own money. He's funded the league from day dot w- once he got involved. The issue with this is it's, it's generally brought up a lot by the league and and, the, and Larry whenever there's there's a bit of pushback or disagreements upon certain things. It's like, well, I invested my money and I'm the owner and, and, and all of that. And I think it's at a point where we either need to have a, you know, kiss each other, a hug, bake you a cake, give you a handshake, whatever we need to do um, <laughs> to thank you for investing that money. It's been well publicized every year since he's been involved. Everyone knows it. You know, kudos, Larry, you, you invested a lot of money, but we need to move on from that to, to help this league not just grow slowly in the arrow. You know, I'm greedy. I want this league to be to be that clear number two one day, you know, and, and, and that's what you should be driving for. That's what your, your GM and your, your CEOs and your board members all should be driving for. If they're not driving for that, you, you shouldn't be doing it. So, with that comes the fact that Larry owns interest in multiple teams. That's no secret. He's still involved with Melbourne United in some capacity. I don't know what his stake is there. There's rumors that there's other teams that he's involved with that, that should be sold down the line, but that's a huge conflict of interest. Now, it comes back to you bring that up. Well, I funded the league, so I can kind of I can kind of do that. Well, when you're looking at it from a point of view where NBA players, potential NBA players, you know, future stars are coming over here, it's, it's kind of a, an elephant in the room, right? You know, you got a league owner that then has how does that work? Are you favoring those teams? It's just he might not be, but it opens that question of of 
is this the most professional way to handle things? And, and to me, it's not. You know, Larry needs to sell ownership in, in in teams that he has if he wants to be the league owner or vice versa. You know, turn the NBL into a, a board of governors type setup like the NBA and we'll get to that a little bit later. And then then you can own, own whoever you, you know, you can own a percentage of a team. Along the way, I've been told this is not the NBA. We don't have that budget. Whenever I brought up issues to, to, to the NBL, right? So here are here are some non-financial issues, in my opinion. The first one that that, that has been in the news is the decals. Now, okay, maybe a little bit of a financial issue because you might lose a sponsor or two, or that check might be halved. But for those that don't know, there's decals on on the NBL floors, right? It seems every weekend somewhere in Australia, there's a player slipping on a decal. And it's been an issue not only for the last two or three years, but for the last 20, 30 years. There's, there's been guys, a guy named John Gilchrist, I think he played at Maryland maybe. Um, he did his yeah. knee, He did his knee. I'm pretty sure, in the NBL on a decal. A number of years ago, no one probably talks about it to this day, but it's a frustrating point because it's constantly brought up and, and the, push, the pushback from the league is, well, it would do a better job cleaning the decals. Oh, well, we've tested them. Oh, they're FIBA standard. Well, that's all good and well, but players are still falling over. And you, you need to protect the safety of your players at all costs. And until, I don't, I don't know, I've, I have a kind of hunch that maybe condensation in moisture in the air, um, there's, there's a bunch of different things that could be affecting those decals that it's not as simple as that they're just simply wet. Um, because if, if, if the floor was wet, that players would be slipping kind of off the decals. But it just seems like there's a lot of players going down, looking like they're getting snipered. Players in the NBL have publicly voiced their concern. The ones that have the balls to do it, a few, more than a few have reached out to me personally and asked for me to beat the drum because they're just, they're either scared or they've been told not to talk about it. That's one easy fix off the bat. Get rid of the decals for now until you figure out a way where no one's going to fall over. If you're a sponsor, you don't, you don't want some kid like Josh Giddy doing his knee on your sponsorship logo. I don't think that's good ad placement, bro. I don't know about you. Uh, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. It's not, a, it's not a good look for sure. It's not. So that that's number one for me, right? And that just goes comes down to prof- professionalism and are you looking after your players and taking their best interest in mind? Now you can you can definitely you know say, well, we're, we're trying our best, we're cleaning, we're doing this, we're doing that. But until we get through a weekend that no one slips on a decal, I'm going to keep beating this drum. Number two, when I joined the league in 2018, the apparel was an absolute shit show. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The owner, Larry Kesselman, had given apparel rights to his son, who was starting a company called First Ever, a uh, apparel brand. They did, did, did all the NBL jerseys and shorts. Now, the reason why I have an issue with this is because multiple times after our warm-ups, I would walk onto the court, tuck my jersey in, tie my shorts up, and as I you do that first knot on your shorts where you tighten it, the string would end up in my hands, out of my shorts. Right? <laughs> so I'm walking out to play a professional <laughs> basketball game. I have to yell to my equipment manager, our team manager, go get me another pair of shorts out of the locker room. My string just broke. Now, this didn't happen once or twice. This happened five or six times throughout the season. So, you go back to Lee and you say, look, these aren't up to standard. And, and Larry was a little bit touchy about it because it was his son running the apparel. And it, it, it was a bit of pushback because it was it was a soft spot for him. It was an emotional spot for him. And I get that. Your son's running it. But that's not professional. And that's not that's not a, a money issue that you can come back to me and say, hey, Bogues, we're not the NBA. We don't have that budget. That's number two. Number three, salaries are not public. Now, I've beat the drum previously about making salaries public. I think it's a good thing for fans and media because I think it creates good debate, bad debate, but it creates talking points for your league, right? The NBA is notorious for it. That guy's not worth that much. I can't believe they gave him the max. How are they going to trade that contract? Blah, 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 blah. But another reason for, in my opinion, making salaries public is it holds teams to account that they're telling the truth about salaries. So let's say I sign you pro for $200,000. 
and you play for you play for my team, mm-hmm. right? And then a rival team knows, okay, you're paying Pro two hundred thousand dollars. Next season's a rival team offers Pro three hundred thousand, and Pro turns it turns it down immediately. Well, then I'm scratching my head, saying, I don't think you're paying him two hundred. I think you're paying him more. And somehow there's some money going along the way that we don't know about because how can he turn down hundred k more? It would keep teams honest completely. To, to what they say they're paying guys. Now, in the NBL, you can factor in living expenses. A lot of guys get cars. But, you know, mm. you want to try and keep teams as honest as possible. And I think that's a perfect way. When everything's public, you know, you've got you've got your kids on Reddit sometimes that will scrutinize things to the T and they'll figure out if someone's lying or numbers don't add up. And that's one of my main reasons. Number two, we have a luxury tax system, Right. So teams can go over and they pay a luxury tax back to the league. This money is then supposed to be split up into a pool that goes to the the kind of smaller market team, similar to the NBA to an extent. There's a board that designates how much clubs get that have to actually apply for it, but none of it's made public. The CEOs supposedly get get a, a basic rundown of it and the owners, but it should be made public because it, 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 then, it then shows us that you're doing the right thing with that money. Right now, we don't know where it's going, how it's getting there, how much it is, how much teams are over over the uh, tax threshold. You make salaries public, all of a sudden, you know your your team needs to abide by those rules. And, and, and if they're not, people will start to figure it out. I think that's just a huge point on, on if you want to keep this thing professional, you need to really make players' salaries public. Now, the union says that you know some players don't want that. They don't want their details out in the public, and maybe there's an argument to that. But I think it's a positive for the players because then you'll you'll de- you'll definitely know that if I'm a similar position player to someone, I'm just as good as him, and he's getting X. I know I can compare market value. Whereas right now, it's this there's this big secret James Bond type thing with player contracts, and and I just don't think it's transparent. So you don't have transparency. What does that look like? Unprofessional, right? Number four, we have a, a fine protocol, right? So getting fined, whether you're a CEO, a coach, an owner, a player. Whatever it is, you know, the NBA has a clearly outlined fine system of what is finable, and then they have a follow-up of what it amounts to. We don't have any of that. At the moment, all the fines and all the discretion of how you get fined is up to the NBL and Larry. That is not professional because that uh, you need to have certain rules. Okay, coach criticizing an official, that's this much. GM making comments about another player, for, you know, tampering or whatever. That's this. We need to have some sort of transparency and follow it up. We need to know how much the fines are, so it's consistent for every team. Whereas right now, you know, Larry does own interest in teams, so there could be some conflict of interest. Does he fine his own team if they do something um, out of the ordinary? And that that goes back to him getting rid of percentage ownership in teams if he's going to be the league owner. So in my opinion, you you allow an audit everywhere every year. You allow an audit. You make sure that it's it's done properly, but to top that off, you got to have player salaries public, in my opinion. A few quick ones. There's a, a contract review committee. You like this one, Pro. So this one means if I'm making 200000 this year and next year I'm, I'm 35, I'm going on to 36, I'm thinking about retirement, I'm like, you know what? I'll do a sweetheart deal with my own club. I'll just take the minimum of 60, 70K and play my last year. Can't do that. So there's a, there's a contract review committee basically says that if a contract is lessened by more than 10%, it needs to be reviewed by the committee and they can deem it ineligible. So the issue with that is you're railroading guys to retirement. 
and it can almost be a restraint of trade here, which is you can't do that as as per the actual law in everyday life here in Australia. And that's a big one because, you know, there was an instance with, with David Anderson back in the day where, where he was going through that. He almost couldn't get a job because he had a pretty big deal and then he wanted to play one or two more years and his salary was going to drop. 50, you know, 40, 50, 60%. And he was happy with that. He's like, well, I just want to play one more year. And they almost denied it. And, and that's that's a bit of an issue. So if you're trying to, you know, push that that rule to show, oh, we're doing everything right. So there's no cheating. And because I guess their side of things would be like, well, if there's a massive drop in salary, we think they're paying under the table. But the ramifications of that for, for veteran players, it, it really hurts. They're basically a lot of the, a lot of the issues that don't involve money, a few that involve money now, full-time referees. I think we have two full-time referees in the whole league. The rest are part-time. Now, the refs cop a lot of blame like they do in all leagues. Even for me, when I played, I went at them numerous times. I'm not going to lie. I'm a fiery guy. But I don't blame them. They're not put in a position to succeed. And and someone gave me this analogy. It's 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 like you're running the, one of the best orchestras in the world and some dude off the street walks on with a stick and is waving it around. You know, um, it, <laughs> it's not going to go well, right? So <laughs> we have world-class athletes, great competition, and we just don't have you know, referees up to that level because they're not put in that position to succeed. You need to pay referees full-time. If you want to call yourself the second best league to the NBA, full-time referees are a must in my opinion. That's that's something that I think most of the owners would get on board with. And if it costs them a little bit more money, I know I know uh, the King's ownership, Paul Smith, would, would happily pay more to have full-time referees. The baskets around the league might seem like a minor thing for most. They're not uniform. So every arena has different types of rims. And that was a small thing, not a big financial thing, but it irked me as a player because it should be uniform. It should be the same for everybody. And it just creates a bit more professionalism. Every arena is the same basketball. Every arena is the same hoops. So that's that's a pretty easy one. The final one I had was around commentary. So the NBL pays all its commentators. Um, there's some good ones. There's some bad ones. We're not going to have that argument. But one thing I cannot stand is there are commentators butchering player names still in round five, six of the league. They are butchering players' names. They are funded by the NBL to be commentators. NBL, get those people in a room, run through every player's name on a roster, how to pronounce it. There's just no excuse for that. There's no excuse for not knowing players' names. And some of them are some of the biggest names in the league that you're just absolutely butchering. So that's my long-winded spiel, pro. Like I said, the owner will most likely fire back and say something along the lines of, it's my league. If you don't like it, get out. So I just want people to have a feel for, I'm not, I'm not here to throw stones at the NBL when I want to be involved in it. But I do want the league to to be more professional and have a better organizational structure than it has today. And there's a lot of room for improvement, which is a good thing. It's a good thing that there's room for improvement because the league is going very, very well. So I guess that's my long, what is it, 20-minute spiel about the NBL. They're my gripes, and I'd love to just hear it from someone who's not partisan to myself or the Kings or the NBL, someone that's over in America. Do I have legitimate gripes, bro? Yeah, I mean, some of the things I think that you you definitely have legitimate gripes on. And I think most of those things are, but I think some things that like they definitely can change and then some things that maybe it's it's good that they don't do it or, the, or they continue to do it the same way. For me, you need bylaws as far as like what your rules are. Everybody's got to be sort of on the same page as far as knowing and communicating, you know, like you said, fines and suspensions and, you know, and financials of the organizations. Now, it's weird to me, too, like in Europe and China, I mean, you hear about these deals, but 
there's really nowhere you can go where like everything's public about what people are getting. It's pro, it's pro sports. You should, I, I feel as though you should, it should be out there for people, for media, for agents, for other teams to know what people are making. I don't think that's a, a huge deal. I have no idea why international basketball, especially you don't really hear about these deals unless it's like a huge deal or, or something. They're saying that they're a top two, top three league in the world. Well, you know, obviously it's lacking in a lot of things. First of all, the guy had a put his own money in and he still can't find a hundred percent sponsorship a hundred percent ownership for these other teams yet where he's still involved with multiple teams i think that that should be his number one goal is to get private ownership um throughout his whole league and and he could either run the league as far as a commissioner or he could sell it off you know, get his money back, little profit, whatever it's going to be. And then, you know, and then buy a team and then be an owner. And then this way, everything's sort of on the level, right? Even if it is on the level, it appears that it's not. If he's got money in multiple teams and like a lot of these things are in the dock and not everybody knows what's going on. So I think that that's, that's sort of where it should start. He needs to be able to get you know, money, outside money into this league and inject it so all these teams could sort of run on them on their own where he doesn't have to, you know, invest in multiple teams. I think the way that he's going to become one of the best leagues in the world, you know, top two, top three or whatever, whoever does those ratings is turning themselves into the best developmental league in the world. I think the coaching is very good in Australia. The players, like you said, the homegrown guys are getting better definitely developing throughout the years and, the, and some of them are staying home. That's great. But I think he needs to invest in coaching, invest in development on the assistance side and continue to develop these players. Like if I had a young kid in the United States and he wasn't going to go to college, he wants to make some money. I'm going to send him to Australia over China or over some of these countries because of the infrastructure, because of, I know it's more of Americanized. It's a nice place. You know, Australia is a great spot to live. People speak English. The basketball is really good as well. And I think they can get that. And I think they got to continue to pump money into that. But also, like you said, like referees, good people do. Like if if you if it's not going to make a lot of money yet and you're still going to lose some money, at least invest money into things that people can see that you're just continuously growing the league. And I think, you know, really good officiating. Get those fucking decals off the court. I, I read, I was doing some research you know, it's about time. It's been three fucking months and I'm finally reading about Australian basketball, but I'm, I'm reading about the decals on the floor and how they said, well, they're almost up to EuroLeague standards. Well, what the fuck does that mean? Like either people aren't slipping or they are. And if they are, A, it's embarrassing. B, someone's going to get hurt and which is probably way more important than it being embarrassing or not. And they need to sort of identify that and, and deal with it. If it's going to be a small time, you know, a short term financial problem to do this, that, 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 that's fine because the players right now are your number one asset because you don't have all these ownerships yet. I mean, the teams are getting there, but if you want to be taken serious, I just feel as though that they got to identify these things and they got to get off this decal thing. You know, you're saying it. I, I read it from other people. Other people are tweeting about it. I'm reading articles about it. Just sort of get off this decal thing or, you know, just because you can't take that chance of someone getting hurt. So that's my sort of spiel about listening to you, what your gripes were and the positive and negative, reading about the league, watching it a little bit and, and, and just, you know, sort of being around basketball and being around other leagues besides the NBA. 
yeah, you don't have the budgets of the NBA, but these little things that you could be really good at, the simple things, I think that you got to really invest your time and money into getting these things better. But again, the way you're going to do it is A, being professional, B, having transparency, and you got to get ownership. You got to get money into the league, you know, so he could sort of like back, take a step back from ownership of these other teams if he just wants to run the league and promote the league. And then the development piece, he's got to continuously get, you know, the best, you know, basketball, best strength, just continuously try to, you know, get that bar higher and higher where these people, if they're not going to go, you know, straight to the league if they're one and done or whatnot, if they don't want to go to college, if they want to come here to get better. And I think that that's a big part of what they should be doing. Yeah, and you hit on the head, I think. Transparency, professionalism, organization. The NBA has a board of governors, which is the owners essentially of each team. Um, they vote on pretty much everything. So everyone gets one thirtieth of a vote. All the big ticket issues are brought up in those meetings and the commissioner brings it to, to the owners. And, and I think that needs to be the path the NBL should look at now. I, I don't know how that works. I don't know how Larry recoups the money he's invested. When Larry first invested in this league, funnily enough, the PR campaign and spiel was that it wasn't about money. It was about growing basketball and growing grassroots and getting basketball back on the right track. Whereas I think now it's flipped where I think Larry wants some of his money back. And that's fair enough. I've got no issue with that. Just be honest about it. Be, hey, I'm trying to make some more money back. I've lost a lot of money investing in this league early on. I'm trying to make some back. Things are going well, but I want to speed it up. That's perfectly fine. Just just admit it. Um, because some of the stuff lately is not it's like the decals. Is That's that's a, that's a money issue. That's not a growing basketball in the right, the right frame of mind. So- I don't know how you do it. Uh, I think right now all the owners in the league, um, they can bring up issues, but at the end of the day, even if they have the majority, it's still going to be up to Larry to say yes or no. So that'll be interesting to watch. I just wanted to hit this because people think that I'm just, you know, dropping my pants and shitting all over the league, which is is further from the truth. I love what the NBA is doing. I think the competition is at an all-time high. Unfortunately, I, I don't think the admin at times and the running of the league has caught up to the level of the competition, if that makes sense. But I want to be involved um, to the mo- for the most part. How that happens, we don't know. Obviously, people that have read up the last couple of weeks, there's that ownership that I have available. I have a bit of a worry that I could, uh, like I said earlier, with the fine legislation, nothing's clear, nothing's outlined. So, if I'm, if I'm commenting on basketball, the NBL, giving these kind of negative, positive takes, am I going to get fined? Uh, well, not me personally. Is the league, is, is it Sydney Kings going to get fined? I don't want to do that to the club. And then also, if I'm commenting on controversial things away from basketball that some people might deem, you know, whether it's social or political, am I going to get fined for that? Or is the, or is the league going to find the Sydney Kings? So that's what I'm going through. I'm, I'm deciding what's going to happen there. But my gripe is I don't know what is finable. I don't know how much it is. I don't know any of that stuff. And the last thing I want to do is be involved with the Sydney Kings and have them <laughs> have them just wiring out money every week yeah. for some stupid I said, right? So mm. that's where I'm sitting with all that and that's why I brought this up. But for everyone out there, I, I, I want the NBA to do fantastic and that's my main motivation for this. People might think this is a, a battle between myself and Larry, myself and the NBL. Could not be further from the truth. Um, look, me and Larry aren't on great terms as far as getting along, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think you want people that push you to get better and, and I might be wrong sometimes and, and Larry might be right and vice versa, but for the league to keep growing and hopefully grow at a better pace than it has the last four or five years, I think these things need to be addressed. So thanks for listening to our spiel. We'll move on. All-star game votes are in by the fans pro. First off, how do you feel about fans voting for starters? The league is all about views and eyeballs, right? Like they're not going to be probably the most the best experts in the world as far as voting, but like that's what 
they're trying to do just get it as popular as possible i think it's you know it's good for the fans to be able to do that especially if the league's trying to continuously get more people watching and involved the you know the all-star games probably you know including the nba finals is probably one of the top two or three things the nba does all year you know as far as like people watching and being engaged i mean it could be a shit show you know depending on who's popular versus who's good sometimes maybe on that fourth or fifth spot but they usually get it for the most part right i don't really get i don't really care too much about it if like i said if it makes the fans more engaged in the nba let, let it happen what, what are your thoughts bogues as someone who played you know what, what are your thoughts on the fans doing that well, I think the NBA All-Star starters use fans loosely. I, I think NBA China votes for the starters. <laughs> Let's yeah. be honest. Like, yeah, mass population, they love the NBA. They're, they're the ones that are really moving the needle. If you're popular in China, generally, you're going to get votes. And we've seen that before with Jeremy Lin. We've seen it with numerous guys. Alan Iverson, towards the end of his career with Detroit, got voted on a, a starting team, I believe, because- he was so loved over there. So the smart players they invest a lot of time in China. It's a pretty good move if you're that or superstar fringe all star. Look, I think yeah, it does involve the fans. I, I, it is a topic of discussion and controversy every all star announcement, just because the fans usually screw one or two up. But look, I think they're pretty close. I mean, we'll run through the the West: Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, Kawhi Leonard. Now you can't really argue with taking any of those guys out. The one snub would be. Dame Lillard. I mean, he's playing at an unbelievable clip right now, and I watched a few of their games recently. and And just his clutch bucket making this season has been been very, very good. He's he's made some big shots during numerous runs against teams that were either coming back or whether they were down to or up to whatever. He's hit some big shots. I mean, he'd be the one guy probably that you could maybe swap with Luca. But other than that, I think I think the West is pretty close. Yeah, I mean. The All-Stars like picking the Olympic team, you know, it, it's somebody's going to get a really good player is going to be kept off. I have Lillard as the seventh best player in the West. You know, I mean, he's really close to you know that top five. But look, I mean, who, you know, who are you going to knock off? You're going to knock off Luca, who's having a great year, you know, MVP candidate as well. Everybody loves the kid, young, up and comer. I mean, you got Kawhi on there. You got LeBron on there. I mean, it's it's tough. And Curry, like... You know who are you going to knock off, and then it's not a big deal. He'll be a he'll be a reserve. Yeah, it's a little bit of a slight to an ego, I guess. But you know the the kids having an unbelievable year and putting them in position to win. I'm not a huge all star guy, but now I could see how somebody would be bent out of shape a little bit about it. But the guy's going to be a reserve on, on it. It's it's not a big deal to me. Obviously, to, you know it might thrive him. It might drive him a little bit more and have a bigger chip on his shoulder throughout the you know, second half of the year. But I don't know. I, I don't feel all that bad about about it sometimes if, if you get clipped, if you're not a starter, but you're still on the team. I'm not a big all-star selection guy anyway, but eh, what are you going to do? Yeah. And then, I mean, the East, Giannis, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, Kyrie Irving. Now, the one thing on that list, Brad Beal is having a fantastic year, but they absolutely suck. It is a fan vote. Mm-hmm. We have heard historically, Pro, that wins and losses do matter. Do you think it matters as much these days, um, as much as it did back in the day? Because we used to hear, you know, guys putting up numbers on teams that were 11th, 12th, 13th in their conference generally wouldn't get selected over a guy with a little bit worse numbers on a top five team. Um, there was that famous year where, was it the whole starting five from the Atlanta Hawks made it? Or I think four out of the five or some shit. It was, it was, it was crazy because they had the best record in the league at the time. But do you think wins and losses matter anymore for, for all-star selections? I don't. I, I think it's a, a beauty contest. I think that, you know, if you're popular, you're going to get get on there. If you're putting up numbers, you're going to be on there. You know, s- 
I, I just think that especially with the all-stars, they just want to see, they want to see the most entertaining, best talent on the floor. I don't, I don't think they really take wins and losses into account, to be honest. You know, it's not the MVP. It's not something like that. It's not all NBA. It's just an all-star game. I don't think it's a huge deal. Like I said, I, I, I hold it in very low regard as far as, to, you know, trying to evaluate if a player is really, you know, great or good. I don't know. I, I, I think they're going to go with the most entertaining and, and the best talent, regardless if they like, they can go oh and fucking 41. They're going to still put them on there. Yeah. I think there's an argument to be made. The all NBA teams are probably more valuable to some extent than an all star game just because there's less spots and it's the course, the body of work over the course of a season rather than. I mean, there's been guys notorious that would would try to ramp up their numbers right, you know, January and, and February right before the voting that I've been yeah. around in the league. Um, but that I think the the All NBA things kind of the longevity of the whole year. Yeah, I think sometimes with this All Star stuff, it, it sort of clouds players a little bit. You know, like I said, it's an 82 game season. I put a lot more weight into third team NBA, second team All NBA, obviously the first team All NBA, rather than if you were an All Star. I want to know. How many times you were finals MVP? I want to know how you were all defense. I want to see if you were one of those all three teams, you know, multiple years in your career. I just think sometimes players get so out of sh- out of shape mentally if they get clipped from the all-star team multiple years and things like that. It's sometimes the shit show when it comes down to the voting, especially not only voting, but like selection on the uh, reserves. You know, it's a little bit of a political thing and all that. I mean, sometimes it's out of your hands. So, I don't know. I, I, I've been around players in locker rooms and, and or just being involved with players that took that a little bit too serious about being an all-star. I, I'd rather be serious about my craft and trying to win and trying to be the best player I can. If, if they select you, they select you. If they're not, they're not. You know, but again, I, I understand why players, young kids that you know, want to get on these teams and things. Yeah, and that's, you know, worst case, you get a five-day trip to Cancun, put your feet up. So, not all bad, I guess. And there are some players that, you know, had been to multiple All-Star games before that were like, oh, I'd rather have that sometimes, you know, and just get get some time with your family and get away. But um, another interesting thing, Draymond Green's comments, fair? What do you think? I don't think so. I think it was a little bit too emotional for me. I think players get a little bit bent out of shape about trades. Let's run back the comments just in case someone did not hear what he said. Do, do you want to run back what he, what he essentially said? Yeah, basically, I mean, it's a sort of a two-part thing. First, it was, you know, why do teams get to trade players and they don't really get a lot of flack, but like if a player demands a trade, then he's the bad guy. So that that's sort of the first thing, like the, the player takes more of the, of the hit. And the second thing was, why can't teams sort of be more, you know, com- uh, communicate with players more about when they're going to get traded or being on trading blocks or, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're, we're putting you in these trades. And and then as usual in the NBA, then you get more players sort of talking about it. LeBron, D. Wade, a lot of players sort of talked about it on top of, you know, Draymond. And like I said, I think it's, it's something that like you could easily say, oh, yeah, you know, it, it should be a two-way street. Well, a couple of things. First off, as a team, you can't really be talking – and again, I, I want to know what you think, but like you can't be telling players all the time when they put them in trades. You can't trust a lot of players mentally to sort of continuously be engaged in – everyday professionalism when they know they're on the trading block. I understand that people have families and people have, you know, kids that go to schools and being, you know, traded is a clusterfuck with their schedule and obviously their life. But 
you know, that's sort of what happens when you're a professional athlete. You got to deal with that every day and it's not fair, but that's sort of how it goes. Like as a team, as a general manager, you're not doing your job if you're not assessing how valuable every one of your players are in trades. You should be working the phones to see the value, to see what what's out there for each player, regardless of if it's if your best player to your worst player. And that's, you're not doing your job as a GM if you're not doing that. And you got to continuously talk to players, talk to other teams. The problem today, Bogues, is everything gets leaked. So like, even if you told a player, you know, the player's going to tell somebody, it's going to get out in the media, you know, the player's probably going to be a little fucked up about, you know, being told that he's on the trading block. And then it just, it's just a, a nonstop, you know, where as a team, you got to protect your team. You can't, you got to have that player going 100% and then being like, if you got to deal him, you got to deal him. But you can't be telling him every time that you put his name in a trade. Players just can't handle that. Not all of them can. There's a few maybe. Now, a couple of the things that came up was the Andre Drummond being shut down and Blake Griffin being shut down. And that was the big part of what he, that was a big part of his point, right? So the teams, for those that don't know, D- Detroit basically told Drummond and Blake, we're sitting you because we're trying to trade you. So Draymond then, you know, rebuttaled by, well, if a player asks to be traded, why is he fine? And then the team's not fine for saying we're basically putting you on the trading block publicly, right? So that's kind of where it stemmed from, but go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just think sometimes you have to just, you know, th- I think shutting down a player might be for the best. They don't get hurt if you're going to trade them anyway. Yes. You know, sometimes the communication in some of these trades could be better. And, it, you know, you've heard about these guys saying that they, they found out trades on the bench. They try, you know, while they're still playing. Some, you know, some said, well, I found out by some guy just telling me on Twitter. Sometimes it's not going to be done, uh, you know, the best ways by teams. But for the most part, they do the best they can. And look, players make a lot of money. I get it. And that's part of the argument. But like, that's just part of things. They're trying to defend why James Harden. Look, there are some players that, you know, do it right. They say, look, I, I've done all I can. I'd like to get out. I'd like to go to another team. And I respect that. And that's d- being done the right way. I, I don't like, I don't care that LeBron James left Cleveland to go to Miami. What bothered me was he, he put a fucking game show on ESPN about, you know, <laughs> hanging everybody out to fucking dry and, and waiting on him to say where he's going to go. That was wrong, in my opinion. James Harden, instead of like, instead of talking to those guys in the summer and saying, look, or in the offseason and saying, look, I've done all I can here. I don't think we're going to be able to win. I want to go somewhere else. I respect everything that's, that Houston's done for me, that I've done for Houston, but I think it's time for me to go. No, what does he do? He doesn't come in shape and just says, hey, deal me by the end of the year, hopefully by all-star break. No, what does he do? He comes in 35 pounds overweight. He comes late because he go- he's going to somebody's birthday party. He sort of distanced himself from the team a little bit. And then, you know, and now there's all this shit show because it leaked out that he wants out. And now that's sort of done the wrong way. I don't care if a player says, hey, I want to go. You know, that's up to them. I, I, you can never, you know, everybody says, well, you know, those guys back in the 80s, they stuck it out. Well, that's them. Everybody's different. Everybody, you know, some some people like to stick it out and, and build on this one team, regardless if they're good, good enough to win or not. And some says, fuck it, I want to join a, a super team. So, and I'm okay with both. But yeah, I just think that you got to do it the right way, in my, in my opinion. 
Well, a few things, a few points. Your point about not being able to tell players that they're tradable, I totally agree. Um, I, I think the worst thing a GM could do is go and tell three or four of the young stars, eh, we're kind of looking to trade you, and then you don't. And then there's that awkwardness in that locker room. There's an awkwardness between that player and the GM, and the player's thinking, shit, does coach not like me neither? So I totally agree with that. I don't think you can go to each player and be like, I think the one workaround for me, if I'm a GM, I'm sitting everyone down in January before trade deadline and saying, all of you guys are tradable. Everyone in this room is tradable, so that's where we're at. You know, I, I, the, we take calls on anyone, we receive calls on anyone, and we're making calls. Anyone's tradable. And I think players know that to an extent, but I think hearing it that way, like, hey, you guys are all tradable. It's, it is the business. It's the harshness of what we're doing. I think Draymond has a point with the double standard, and I think he's in the, on the right path. It was an emotional press conference and, and he's an emotional, fiery guy. But the fact that players, the James Harden thing's different. I agree with you. Came out of shape, didn't want to be there, was was clearly throwing all the toys out of the cot to get out of there. Not right. But if a player comes out and says, hey, I'm going to do everything I can, I'm going to stay professional, but I want out of here, he gets fined. Whereas if a team does it, they say, hey, Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin, we know you've been professional. We know you want to keep playing, but we're going to sit you till we trade you. Nothing happens. So that is that is a glaring double standard. Now, you could argue, does it, should the team get fined for it? Or do we just say, if a player demands a trade request and does everything professionally, there's no fine. You, you can't have both ways, pro. So I think, I think he has a point there. I agree with you as far as coming out of shape, being a dickhead, trying to work your way out that way. That's a no-go zone. So we half agree, but yeah, I have to, I have to think that Draymond's got a point. Yeah, I mean, trades are just transactional, right? And these teams have fans have been fans for 30 years. So, of course, they're going to take the side of the team where like, hey, I would rather the player to get traded than demand to get trade, you know, the demand to trade because you know how it is. They're like schoolgirls with these teams. They're like, it's like their girlfriend, you know, and if a player like leaves and says, I want to get out, they take it personal. It's not fair. I get it. A hundred percent. It's not fair. But like, that's the, the fans of these teams, you know how they are. They're, they're really I think it's like- changed. I think it's changed though, pro. I think the last 10 years we've seen a shift, not a lot, but we've seen, you know, I don't know what percentage it would be. I'd say it's definitely more than the eighties and nineties. We've seen a shift now that, that, um, fans are, they follow the player now. LeBron was a prime example. You know, we saw a lot of players, a lot of fans jump ship and all of a sudden had that fresh Miami jersey for a couple of years and now probably have the Lakers one. So I think it's kind of changed a little bit where where there's more fans of, of an actual player now and they'll follow him around. Whereas back in the yeah. day, it was like diehard. It was like, um, this is my team. Like you leave, like we hate you. We're booing you. So I think it's changed a little bit, but I, I totally I totally agree. We actually have a real good question in the Q&A about that a little bit later on. So we'll touch on that yeah. when we get to it. Trades are just imperfect. They're just imperfect. You know, and someone's going to get screwed. Yeah, of course. It goes back to the Steve Kerr comment when I played for him. You guys aren't just paid to play basketball. Your exorbitant salaries are the shit show that you have to deal with on a daily basis. And that was the one thing that he said to me that's always stuck. You can't go out to eat when you want to eat sometimes. You're going to have people taking photos of you. You can't go to public events with your kids and spend time with them because people want to interact with you and, and whatnot. So, he had a really valid point as far as all that went. And I believe that's why that's a portion of why your salaries are so high, right? Like, you're you going to deal with a shit show that comes along with putting a ball in a hoop. It's kind of a valid point, right? Yeah, it is. And look, in the NBA, everybody's getting paid. Players obviously are getting paid most and they got to deal with it. But that's part of it. Look, I've had players that I dealt with that couldn't start social lives because they were afraid that they're going to get traded. It does affect it, it. You know, there is mental health issues with especially those fringe players worried about getting traded. But 
that's just part of it. And you're a professional athlete. I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not saying that everybody should be a robot with it and just deal with it. But you're going to have to deal with it if you like it or not. And that's part of it. Coaches get fired. GMs get fired. Coaches get fired. You know, they got to deal with it as well. It not, you know, maybe obviously not as much as players. Look, 90% of the players in the league are going to play for more than one team, probably more than 90%. You know, it's going to happen. Somebody's going to get cut. Somebody's going to get traded. You're going to have to deal with it. Some teams do it professionally. Some teams don't. Some players are professional about it where you could just say, hey, look, we drafted this guy, your position. He's going to be the future. You're probably going to get moved. What do you want to do? Do you want to play? Do you want to stay with it? There are some players you could probably have that conversation with. I would say out of the 450 NBA players, there's probably about 30, 40 players tops you could have that conversation with, and it's not going to really impact them. And it's just situational. It's by, it's per team, per player, depending on who can handle this the best. You know, not everyone's going to handle it great. Some people will. It's just, it's just one of those things, but. You know, I mean, trades are just part of the game. It, I don't think it's going to change. I don't think teams are going to communicate more with players. Uh, the double standard with the fining, I totally agree. If it, I don't think a player should talk in their press conference, I want to get traded. I don't think that that should happen. But if they if they make it public, maybe in an announcement, um, you know, Twitter once or whatever, I think the the league should have a guideline to it, and then have like 100% rules behind it where they can do this, but they cannot do this and then put everybody sort of on that same playing field. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Just don't have a double standard. It's either fine for both or not fine for either. For sure. Quick one to touch on for the Aussie fans. The top 10 most popular NBA jerseys just came out and I was actually surprised not to see Ben Simmons on there. So just a quick one for fans. Number one, LaMelo Ball, then Steph, LeBron three, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Luka Doncic, Giannis, Trey Young, Stephen Adams, and Jalen Brown. Stephen Adams is a strange one because he's a New Zealander. So, a little bit of a history there between Australia and New Zealand. And his jerseys sold more than, than Benny's. But um, it's just yeah, interesting to see that Aussies aren't buying that jersey this season. Maybe they've already got one in the closet and don't want another one. But come on, we, we at least got to beat Stephen Adams, the guy over the, over the water there, over the ditch. We've got to get Ben above him somehow. So, just an interesting one that I saw. Another interesting tidbit, Kevin Porter Jr. stats in the G League Pro. Um, I'm going to read these. I'm going to read these out for you. Please do. These the last five games, 25-3-4, and 21-3-4, 21-7-5, 27-8-4, 32-9-7. Did he not want the Borscht? He did not want the Borscht. He did not want the Borscht. I, I wish you would have said that in Russian, but you, you obviously couldn't translate it. Hey, look, I was sort of against what he was doing as far as how he handled some things. I obviously didn't want the guy to go to Russia, but I'm glad that he's sort of picking it up and understanding that he got a second chance and he may not get a third chance. So I'm glad that he's sort of taking this thing serious and hopefully he can keep it up and we're going to see him, you know, in Houston Rockets jersey, you know, consistently. But yeah, I knew you were going to, I, I knew you were going to fuck me up with this one. <laughs> nah, man. Hey, we're supporting you, Kevin Porter Jr., Rogue Bogues, Pro and Bogue. We want, we want you to do well, man. Like, I, I love, I love a bounce back story just like anyone. So you've uh, made some more than a few mistakes, but it's just good to see that he's knuckled down, got to the G League and said, I'm going to prove I belong in the NBA. Uh, hopefully he doesn't have any indiscretions, but he's not there yet, bro. So I, I, I'm not really shitting on you yet. But when he gets, gets that call up, I'm glad if he gets pissed off in the D League, he won't throw soup that he'll throw peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because that's all they can fucking afford down there. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point, actually. You're not, yeah, you're definitely not throwing, um, throwing that food around or your pudding around. 
No, there was there's no uh, there's no seventy five dollar bowl of soup from uh, from Houston's at the uh, at the G League, unfortunately. Yeah, but just just good to see. I mean, like there's only two ways you can go. Like we discussed, he could, could go south and end up overseas, but it looks like he's giving himself a fighting chance. He continues those numbers, and I think another month of that, um, they've probably got someone working with him, a coach or someone, to work on his mentals a little bit. And I think he hopefully he comes back and and makes an impact in the league. No, like what he needs to do is, look, he needs to keep himself above water, keep his head above water. Yes, he's putting up numbers in the G League, but, you know, figure out what he needs to do. Work on being a professional. Don't get too high. Don't get too, too low on, on how he's doing and just continuously be better every day as a young player. It's hard, man. You know, he was probably great at every level that he was at. And this is a tough one because you got to deal with your de- your inner demons. You got to deal with you know your imp- imperfection of how you play. But most players don't get this second chance, and he got one. And you know I don't care if you're in high school, college, pro, overseas, pro, you know some some shit league in you know fucking Siberia. But it is what it is. You gotta you gotta deal with you know working to be a pro, figuring out what you need to do to get yourself on the court. And just continuously do that every day. And that shit's boring. You know, doing the same shit every day is boring as hell. But that kid has a chance to be an NBA player and hopefully he sticks to it. Exactly right. Fact or fake news? We have some good ones. Pistons will find a trade for Blake Griffin and not have to stretch or waive him. I think if the NBA's taught us anything, that any any contract's tradable. Although that being said, I mean, he's got one year left after this one at $38.9 million. It's a lot of money to take on your cap. That's about uh, close to 35% of your cap right there on one contract. Usually on these big contracts that teams want to get rid of, they got to deal about two first round picks. I don't think Blake Griffin is worth two first round picks to take on $40 million. And plus Detroit, that's going to be bad. I mean, you know, I just keep my picks. I would, I think you just wave them, you stretch them, whatever you do. I don't think they're going to find a trade, but you, who knows? They're talking about possible trades, you know, of guys that are making a lot of money and, and, and things. I just think it's tough. You're not going to get any value back for Blake Griffin. They're just trying to get him off their books and it's going to cost them multiple first round picks. And, you know, and then a team's going to have to fork over 33, 34 million dollars in contracts to make that contract, uh, to make the trade work. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's fake news. I, I forgot even the question as far as <laughs> w- wave or stretch. Getting they're old. not going to find a trade. Yeah. So you're fake news. Yeah. I think, I think they're going to have to stretch them and cut them. What do you think? Yeah, fake news. I don't, I don't think they're moving that deal. Um, like you said, even if they move that contract, it's generally going to be for another contract that's just as bad. So, I think they'll just be in the same situation anyway. Um, but it's a little Stan Van Gundy parting gift for the Detroit Pistons to figure out, <laughs> right? Oh, oh. That is the model for not letting your coach be your GM. You know, you need you need separation of church and state with that because coaches tend that are GMs, not all of them, but most of them, they tend to make deals like this for the short term and not the long term. Andre Drummond and him, they're the gifts to keep on giving. Unfortunately, they give to the 29 other teams except Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, it should be in the in the PowerPoint presentation and user manual for do not hire a coach as your GM or president. Lakers will stay in the second seed with Davis out for a month with an Achilles injury. Fact or fake news? Fake news. I, I think they'll drop a few spots, especially with the league being so good and so close in the conference. 
I think it's tough. I mean, that right now, um, I got them at two games out of first. Clippers are a half game behind. Phoenix is only about three games behind them, and they're playing pretty well. I think it's going to be hard for them. Plus, Schroeder's out with the, uh, you know, I think he's out for uh, at least two or three games with the, um, he got the COVID protocol uh, contract tracing. So, I think it's going to be very tough. I mean, they're not, they're playing good basketball, don't get me wrong, but the Clippers are playing well as well, and they're right at their toes, and this guy's going to miss a month. I think it's going to be tough, but let's keep in mind, my last 11 predictions went the other way. So if anyone's fucking gambling, any pick that I pick, just go the opposite. George Costanza me. But I say they're not going to, I say fake news, they're not going to, they're not going to stand the two. I think fact, I think they will stay in the second seed. Yeah, I think that. um, Look at you. Yeah, got to go contra. Uh, I I think that they, I think LeBron, I mean, even if they can just track at five, six hundred. You know, win win fifty sixty percent until Davis comes back, and they'll make that surge with Davis. Uh, the flip side does does. I am kind of thinking that home court they probably don't give a shit right now about their high seed just with the way COVID and all that is playing. But I'll, I'll say I'll say they'll stay second seed. Um, I think LeBron will try to solidify his MVP year if he can lead them to six sixty percent and above with Davis out. They'll solidify it. They are about to lose to Miami though, as we speak. So, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but um, yeah, okay. that, that's what I think about that. The final one, fact or fake news, Mike Conley Jr. will make the All-Star game. So this is a tough one for me. I'm going to say fake news. Now, I want Mike Conley to make an All-Star team because the, the team's number one seed. They're the best team in the league right now. And, you know, he's just been such a great player throughout his career. You want him, You want to see the guy make it. That being said, like if you're just going through – you know, if you're going through like players and, you know, like in the West and like just say it's p- his position, you got Luka Doncic, point guard, Steph Curry, point guard, Damian Lillard, point guard, John Morant conversation has to come in there as well, as well as De'Aaron Fox. So if, you, if you're just going to like put reserves and you could, you could put as many pl- players at one position as you can. Yeah, I'd love for him to make it. But uh, as far as like just the players themselves that are above him, I just think it's tough. I know he's getting a lot of you know good pub from everybody because he's one of the best dudes in the league. I just think from a talent standpoint, as far as how these other guys are playing, I'd put I'd put those guys ahead of him. But I'd want him to make him in the All Star. But I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say he's not gonna make it. And I'm probably going to get fucked out of that one. But what do you think? Yeah, I think fake news. Even though I think he should, based on the number one seed or one of the best teams in the league usually gets three, maybe sometimes four guys in an all-star game. The small market hurts him. His numbers as they stand today, 16 and a half a game, 16 and a half points, 5.6 assists, 3.5 rebounds. Not not eye-popping numbers compared to the other guys you mentioned. And I think that's, what, that's what's going to hurt him. I think it's fake news, but I would like to see him get in because I think Utah's success has been fantastic this year. But the small market and not having those eye-pop eye-popping numbers or even highlight plays, I think kind of hurts him a little bit, but that's that's what we deal with with the All-Star shit show, right? Huh, no doubt. And it, and it is a large shit show, but go ahead. Q&As, a few decent ones, a few long ones. So, this one's probably more aimed towards you. I think you'd answer this one a little bit better. I've got an opinion on it as well. It's been my experience that high-level basketball coaches are second only to police officers when it comes to publicly supporting and protecting their own. 
Players will take shots back and forth. GMs will anonymously snipe. Yet it would be completely shocking if a coach went on the record to criticize a fellow coach. Why is their fraternity so effective at maintaining a united front? Surely they talk shit about each other behind closed doors, or do they somehow maintain their ironclad mutual admiration 24-7? It's pretty telling that even a gives-no-fucks guy like yourself gave enough of one to protect the identity of a coach who was protecting his friend Rick Majerus by keeping you quiet to Sports Illustrated. Is the coaching mafia so intimidating that they can muzzle even a rogue wolf? And that's Charlie from Chicago. Yeah, I I just think that they just want the perception that they're high, you know, they're high integrity, you know, that they're, they're, that they're above that. And not many coaches are above it. Yes, they badmouth other coaches, 100%. Not everybody. It's not like they do it to everybody, but I just think it's sort of, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say hypocritical. I just think it's sort of when they talk to the media, just like when the players talk to the media, it's sort of they want to have this sort of, I don't know, some story about them. They want their personality to be one thing and then their so, their their real life to be another. I think they act for the camera just like most players do. And I think that they just sort of keep it, you know, they keep it moving. But in in general, I think they, they probably don't have that admiration for each other, for sure. You know, it's just a head coach thing. It's just sort of, you know, they act professional for the most part. And, and, mo- and, and most are, don't get me wrong, but they'll act for the camera and then whatever they are, uh, you know, off camera, they're going to be. Same thing with players. You know, p- most players are going to like give you that lie to the camera and then they're going to be a certain other person off the camera. It's just like, it's just who it is. And once they see media, they're going to act one way and then, you know, in their regular life, they're going to act another way. Yeah, but I guess the point that Charlie will be making is you do see players snipe at each other, especially these days, especially on social media. Um, you know, we saw the Paul George, Dane Lillard thing and, and, and back and forth on social media. And so, that started to ramp up, but we, we definitely don't see it coach to coach publicly. You're right. There are coaches that hate other coaches. There's coaches that hate other assistants. There's coaches that hate coaches on their own bench, right? But it, they do do a very good job of keeping things in-house and quiet. And that fraternity, I guess, of- We even see it when random coaches get fired sometimes and you'll see like Rick Carlisle, who's head of the coach association i don't know if he still is but i probably is but they'll come out on comment and be like that's bullshit that's disappointing you know so i think charlie does have a point there is a bit of a double standard there yeah and and also like i don't think there's maybe they're subconsciously thinking of this but they're going to need a job at some point you know and burning those bridges i think coaches a little bit more sort of they, they sort of pay attention to burn it burning bridges more than co- players do players don't give a fuck what bridge they burn they're making too much money they're <laughs> yeah. young yeah. and they don't give a fuck but coaches they know that you know look they're they're you know most of these guys don't even make it to like you know in front of the bench they, they coach for 30 fucking years so these head coaches they understand that like they may not get another shot at this if they if they get fired so if they're gonna fire a couple of shots at this head coach that they you know that they don't really like and then that they need a job or this guy's gonna badmouth them or you know you might have like a guy who's up in the coaches association that badmouths them based on like you know based on a year or two years or one or or one instance that they don't want to take that chance so i think coaches sort of think two steps ahead sometimes more than play players a long do. game yeah, play the long game for mm-hmm. sure because it's you know they want to be coaching for thirty five years. Players will play for nine years and you know have enough money for eight lifetimes. Coaches yeah. they they sort of going to try to be around a lot longer. You know, hundred percent. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And just quickly, Charlie, the Rick Majerus, the coach that reached out to me that said just keep you know don't don't comment. 
it was a favor to that coach because I respected him and I liked him as a person. So if it was someone else, I probably wouldn't have done it. But just that specific coach that reached out to me, I, I had a lot of respect for. So that's the reason why I did that. But next one, question to you. What exactly happens in an Olympic year where some NBA-based boom, Australian boomers for the national team have historically missed the games? It's understandable that a player in a contract year may want to minimize the risk of injury due to the potentially huge financial implications and also to some degree where a player coming back from injury may miss the games in order to extend their recovery time. But how do these things come into play and how much pressure does the NBA or its clubs put on players to miss the Olympics? Also, do USA Basketball put pressure on the clubs to keep its players out? Except, of course, for those on Team USA. Cheers, good work. Thanks for the podcast. Uh, keep, keep the awesome podcasts coming. Ben Lush in Golden Bay, WA. There's a mix of things of missed national team years based on injuries. I missed one year where I wasn't actually hurt, but my ankle was really messed up from surgery the year before and had to miss the 2014 World Championships because I just needed a full off-season to rehab it because it was giving me grief. Most clubs are on the fence. They don't, they don't I guess, if you're not a big-minute player, they, they, they like you playing and developing. If you're a starting caliber player, they generally don't like you playing. Some clubs will tell you that. Some won't. Every team's different. The smart teams will support you. Um, the Utah Jazz were very, very good. Um, the last Olympics, they sent out a trainer – uh, and a, a physio, two, one for Rudy Gobert and one for Joe Ingles during that campaign, two of their better players that were with them the whole campaign. And that was outside of, you know, we still had the Australian national teams still had masseuses and physios, but they would be there day-to-day monitoring their health, making sure they were fine. So, that the clubs that do that, that goes a long way, um, a real long way. And I think it's it's very, very important. Um, a funny story about that, Bertan, David David Bertan, David or Davis, David Bertans from the Spurs, when he was with the Spurs, played for the, the Latvian national team with Porzingis. And the story goes that the Spurs had it. People just constantly coming in and out of their their national team camps, all their games, trainers, staff, and not one person from the Knicks came to see Porzingis. And apparently, this really pissed Porzingis off, and and the rest is history. He's been traded, so I think he was not happy seeing that. But I think, yeah, I think the smart teams send people now. As far as players sometimes not wanting to play because it's a contract year and all that kind of stuff, it, it is hard. You go go to an Olympics out of contract you hurt yourself you're probably signing a vet min deal or a minimum deal for that season you know depending on how bad your injury is so you got to be really careful and and a lot of it is strategic and you want to play for your national team team usa pay their players uh, handsomely the australian national team we don't get a dollar we get per diem and that's it and it's it's about playing for your country so you got to factor that in too when, when some guys sit out because it can affect their poten- potential career earnings so you can't really hold it too much against them i understand the team's sort of you know where they where they feel in the whole thing like you know they got players in the rotation of their starters and you know they could get hurt and the insurance and things i know there's been some things that came up in the past about it some teams understand that how important it is for players to play in it you know they you know their national team is their life their livelihood their country they bleed for that that flag and they want to they want to represent their country i get it but um, I think some teams, I think it's just like anything else. I think some teams, you know, they, they sort of promote it and they want them to do it. I think some pl- teams behind closed doors don't want them to play. They don't want them to get hurt. They don't want to risk it. And I don't mind, you know, players, look, they got to look out for themselves sometimes with their contracts. And if you do get hurt and you're sort of iffy coming back and then you're going to have to go through training camp and, you know, and then all these other games coming into the Olympics, I think it's it, it's a tough decision that, you know, some of these players got to have to make. I don't I don't really know the right uh, the right or wrong in that, you know. 
yeah, I think it's a case by case. Your circumstances individually, mm-hmm. your team. You know, I I played in the 2008 Olympics, and that was right when I signed my extension. So I couldn't do any of the camp stuff until I'd passed that physical. So there's some things you got to do along the way. Um, Matt Delavadova signed a deal with the Milwaukee Bucks in 2016 before the Brazil Olympics. He could not really train with us or work out until that deal was signed and he got the okay because if he got hurt in training camp and failed the physical, he would have lost four years, $40 million. So, they're, they're kind of the circumstances. There usually is a workaround like Delhi. He just said, you guys just got to wait for me. I can't train until this is signed and we were okay with that. And there's some players that are just like, I'm just going to take the off season off. So, it's case by case basis and sometimes the media can kind of get the wrong side of it and create a bit of backlash for a said player and sometimes it's warranted. Sometimes there's guys that just blatantly want every excuse under the sun not to play for the national team. So, next one we have is from... Who we got from Andrew Gillespie. I would like to get your thoughts about a EuroLeague style competition involving the best teams from the NBL, Japan, Philippines, China, and other Asia Pacific and Middle East nations. Obviously a bit difficult at the moment, but perhaps something for the future instead of the NBL Cup. I love it. I love the concept. I don't know how you implement it, but if we can get Asia involved in some sort of cup, I think it's a no-brainer for some financial stability. You know, we know the the teams, you know, leagues over in the Philippines, especially and China, love basketball. And I think it'd just be something good to have on this side of the world. I think it'd just, just be a maybe a midweek competition that runs in season, maybe on your Wednesday night or your Tuesday or your Wednesday, you have those those cup games where you're flying to Japan and playing a game as part of a, an Asia league or an Asia Champions League. But I, I like the idea. Um, I don't know how it would be implemented, but it's definitely something we should be looking at. I think it's um, just something something that would be kind of fun to watch and just be crowned the champions of this side of the world. What do you think, bro? Yeah, I think so. Like with the Euro League and, and the other leagues that they have besides their domestic leagues in Europe, I think it's great for – people at your side of the country that I'm sorry, the world to, um, to have something where you play in your domestic league and then you play in some type of a league with Asian teams and, you know, uh, teams from, you know, from Asia, you know, Japan, China, you know, those teams in China, they only play in their league. They don't have any other leagues that they play in. So I think it's, I think it'd be pretty cool to have. Obviously it's a financial thing, you know, with flights and things like that. If you could pull it off, I think it would be just something else you could add to, you know, to the excitement of, you know, Australian basketball and the Asian basketball. I think Japan's getting a lot better. They're putting money into their league, which they always do. China's obviously, we know about them. But, like, that will be pretty cool to see top Australian teams, you know, teams from New Zealand, teams from, you know, China, you know, Philippines. I think I think it will be – I think it'd be a pretty cool thing to see. Yeah, I think just doing a, yeah, probably a top two from each league and, and having it, you know, 10, 10, 12 teams. I think it'd be fun to watch. Thanks for that question. Cause I've I've had that in my mind for years, just thinking like it would be pretty cool to have. But um if they if they, like like Pro said, you know, flights, international flights, especially right now with COVID, like it couldn't be done right now. But if everything was back to normal, something for them to look at. Next one, hey Bogues and Pro. My name is Jason. I'm from Shepherd and Victoria. That's country Victoria Pro. Absolutely loving the podcast. Quickly become my favorite. My question is regarding the draft. Like, how much of it do you think is a crapshoot? Obviously, teams do scouting, but we see so many lottery picks fizzle out of the league pretty quickly or never reach their projected ceiling, while a lot of mid to late, even second rounders surprise people and have long-tenured NBA careers. In your opinion, the high lottery guys that fizzle out, do you think maybe their game doesn't really translate that well into the NBA? Or maybe once they get drafted, they don't work as hard because they have a sense of, I've made it. Or maybe the team doesn't do a good job developing them, et cetera, et cetera. I'd love to hear your pros' thoughts. And sorry, it's a few questions in one. Uh, thanks, Jason. What do you think about that one, bro? 
Yeah, um, it's a com- you know, a little bit of a complex question. Look, I think with a player getting drafted early, you know, early in the draft uh, lottery section, it depends on what type of team you play for. It depends on playing time. It depends on your coach if they believe in you. There are some coaches that really like promoting young players. There are some coaches that don't. Um, some development programs are good where they have you know a great development program where they're you know communicating with the kid. They're working with the kid. They're communicating in house about having an actual plan for the kid. Sometimes the teams have no plan for the kid. They just want to play in minutes and see what happens. Sometimes the kids have the kid sort of has this illusion of grandeur as far as like what their role should be versus what role they are for the team. Like, look, if you go to, you know, if you're going to get drafted by the Minnesota Timberwolves, there's going to be minutes for you. You know, you're going to play. They're not very good. Your Detroit Pistons, they're not very good. You're going to get a boatload of minutes and you're going to try to figure things out and they're going to get coaches and they're going to try to work you up. But now if you get drafted by a, a good team that doesn't play you as much, you know, that's that's going to affect the psyche. It's going to affect- Milicic. Yeah, Darko Milicic. So Darko goes from a championship team in Detroit. They win the championship. They lucked out on some bullshit trade they did with the Memphis Grizzlies, I believe, to get the pick. So they pick him second in the draft. He doesn't play. He gets frustrated. They didn't really have a D-League back then. So he's there not playing, getting pissed. You know, he, he probably had some, you know, psychological issues as far as attitude problem before that a little bit. And now here's a second pick of the draft, not playing, supposed to be the next great player in the league. And he gets frustrated. And now he's, you know, and now he's battered down after like the third year they trade in Orlando. He's had a decent career, but that has an impact on the player. So, you know, it depends on where you get drafted. How, does the team have a plan for you? Do you are you going to buy into actually being a professional and working hard and and being coachable and all these things sort of coming together and you got to stay out of you got to stay out of harm's way with injury so there's a lot that goes into this and then with scouting you know especially with these players that don't go to college a long time you don't get a lot of information on you might they may have a good year and then they might be a flop. You got scouts that sort of travel with each other during the year from other teams. Everybody talks. Everybody falls in love with players. They read the media. You know, there's, there's it just there's a lot of stuff that goes into the draft. I think for teams, I think investing in getting information about the player off the court, psychological, are they coachable? That's a lot more important than if a guy can play or not. Everybody knows if a guy can play. But how's the psychological? What kind of kid are they going to be? Are they going to buy into being a good pro and then building their career up? And look at look at Ball. I mean, Ball had to come off the bench, you know, for most of the first half of the season. Now he's starting. He's playing a lot, a lot of minutes. And I think that's sort of good for a player like that to come off the bench first. Edwards did it too from Minnesota. He's having a good, you know, last five or six games. He's been playing well. So sometimes it's not hey, give the guy 40 minutes a night and just let him shoot 30 times a night. Sometimes it's, hey, let him learn the system. Let him learn the NBA. Let him maybe back somebody up, play him a lot of minutes, but come come off the bench and then learn how to close games and things and have that development. Every team, every player is different, like we talk about a lot on the show. So I know there's a lot that goes into a player's development or lack of development. And I think it starts with having a good program. It starts ha- having good people around them that telling them, you know, hey, look, you got to be a pro. You got to be coachable. You got to work hard at this. And then there needs to be minutes. I don't give a fuck how many minutes you play in the D League. 
you know, if you don't play NBA minutes, you're not going to get better as a player. You need to be able to make mistakes, get coached up by your team and your coaches, and then go back out there and then continuously try to grow. I think if you try to overcoach a kid or don't let him make mistakes and yank him out of games, or you just play him in D-League and work him out for two years and then try to play him and just play him in Summer League, that's going to fuck the player up too. They need to play minutes. They need to play NBA minutes, make mistakes, learn from them, and move on. And I think that's how somebody develops. Speaking of Edwards, did you see that dunk he had yesterday? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable, this fucking media shit, Bogues. Like, he dunks it, right? Like, he has this unbelievable dunk. And then, like, you see v- media today, what the Minnesota Timberwolves saw in Anthony Edwards, <laughs> you know, after this dunk. Yeah. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. The guy was the number one pick in the fucking draft. He was good. You know, yeah, a dunk yeah. doesn't make this kid good. The shit he's been doing the last couple of years makes him really good. It's unbelievable how they try to fucking mansplain all this shit to you. Like if a guy has one dunk and then, you know, trying to be all fucking like Ernest Hemingway on you yeah. about like why they're fu- why the player is good. It's fucking great. That dunk was amazing though. Anyone who has not seen that, I'm just glad it wasn't Aaron Baines this time because he's been on some absolute posters, The you know, my former Australian teammate, and he was in the picture for that one as well, uh-huh. and he was about to jump, but Watanabe, uh, the kid from Toronto, jumped first. <laughs> and it was, if you have not seen that, I highly recommend it. It's one of the best dunks I've seen of all time. I'm going to put it up there. It's it's up there with one of my, even just the way he landed on him, it was, oh, it was, uh, it was a crazy highlight. But Is that, I, is that the kid from Japan? He- the yeah. kid from Japan, right? Poor, poor kid. Yeah, he's going to be the Japanese Sean Bradley after that dunk. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good. Like sometimes, even as a big fellow, I saw someone rearing down the lane and, and they were about to get into their one-two like a Vince Carter or even LeBron. I'm just like, um, I'm just going to sit this one out and take it out of the net, you know. So, But that's how it goes. And I, I agree with your takes on the draft stuff. Look, there's, there's a game within the game too about being drafted. There's players and agents that have pulled the wool over teams' eyes. I'll give you an example of one. Skidish Vili, do you remember him? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Denver. Denver drafted him pretty high. They were real high on him at the time. So, it was a guy in Europe, uh, Nicolas Skidavili, and he was barely playing in Europe. There was kind of rumor back in the day whenever NBA scouts would go watch some of these NBA players, the Euro coaches would sit him on the bench on purpose, right? Now, there's an argument to say that they thought they weren't good enough or they just wanted him to stay in Europe for another year. So, you, you didn't know which one it was. But- the only footage and workout they really could see of Shkita was a one-on-one, sorry, one, a coach individual workout, so not against anybody. And they had this kid doing the mic ends, hook shots, three-point shots, going around, dribbling around chairs, and they said he lit this workout up one-on-zero, right? Like, unbelievable. And they, they drafted him high, and once you put four other players out there, he just had no feel and didn't know what to do. But that was a prime example of their agency and the, the people around him played the, the, the strategy to get him drafted high perfectly because then what happened was other teams thought why can't we get footage of this guy why can't we see him play he must have got a promise from another team all that kind of you know it's, it's a strategy within a strategy and some teams some agency teams with their players have got players drafted very very high based on that and that's the other side of things sometimes you'll see guys go high that you've never heard of and there's a reason generally why you haven't heard of him but on the flip side then you get guys like Giannis that you know were more a project pick and now have been a two-time MVP so it does go both ways yeah yeah, next one goes, uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on the current state of the NBA and many other leagues for that matter in regards to free agency and players constantly moving teams. So, this one pro is 
what we discussed earlier. To me, it kills competition and hurts the fan base. I don't even know who to follow in the NBA because I don't have a connection to any of them because the players keep changing and keep moving. I was only young in the 90s, but it seemed like players didn't move around as much and they actually cared for the city they played for. Now, two years into a five-year contract and players won out because the team stinks. Why even have contracts if you don't intend to fulfill them? I'd love to see a system where players basically spend their entire career with one club and teams can build around knowing that they have those players for 10 or so years. Obviously, there would be a lot more rules to keep things fair, money, etc., etc. But anyway, just wanted your thoughts. Cameron Yelland from Mount Gambia, South Australia. What do you think about that one? Yeah, it definitely, for teams these days, it it makes it much more challenging because for the most part, players are not going to stay in one place. They like moving around. It's just sort of, a, it's it's the way it's going. It's the way the, the young guys are in the league. They saw LeBron do it. They saw, you know, Carmelo get out of town. Darren Williams got out of town. You see all these guys sort of changing teams. And now it just becomes something that every few years it just comes up. And I think that it's just something you're going to have to deal with. You know, obviously, there's a big movement in the NBA about having rights on, you know, where they go. They shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't be told where to go. And, you know, they should be have the right to, you know, play in a, a free market to be able to play where they want. Uh, it just doesn't make it easy for the teams because back in the day, you know, you could probably count on your best three or four players staying in one spot and then just working around. You know, you have to retool your bench. But now it's just these players just want to go. I just think they love the, you know, they love the wailing and dealing. They love people fawning on them, you know, falling, uh, you know, fawning all over them, you know, and, and they, they love to be wanted. And, you know, again, if they feel as though the team's not going to have a chance for a championship, they're going to go. Look, the NBA structured it where, you know, you're going to be at the same team probably for your first six years. You know, and then after the sixth year, you're going to move. Not many, not many players get, you know, traded before their second deal signed. Usually they get traded, you know, or they leave second year, you know, after the second deal signed, they'll go through their rookie deal. And then, you know, they'll, they'll probably look to move because they're restricted, meaning before your fourth year, when you become a free agent, your team that you're currently with has the f- the right of first refusal. So you'll come out, a team might offer you, another team might offer you a big contract, but then that team that you're with has the option to sign you to to ma- match that deal and then and then have that deal with them. So and then this after the second contract, you're you could become an unrestricted free agent anytime you want, depending on when your contract leaves. So you just got to understand that most of these guys are going to leave. They most of these guys, if it doesn't go their way, if the if it's not wired in their direction, they're going to go somewhere else. It's just something you have to deal with. GMs have to become very very sort of like you know shifty with as far as how they move roster pieces, how they you know continuously put themselves in position for trades and to rework their roster. It's just something unless you're like LA or or you know, there's not really any other there's not really an organization that keeps everybody. It's just sort of a free for all. What do you think, folks? I think it he has a valid point, but it goes back to my point of saying that this is the prime reason why fans the new age fan follows players follows a player or a superstar player because it does get frustrating um i can see his his frustrations i was a big fan of the english premier league as a young fellow in the late 90s early 2000s and i stopped following for that very reason like just the the movement of a favorite player i had on my team it hurt me and then i almost wanted to follow the team that he went to or vice versa and then i just lost interest in the league because there was just so much movement so i can i can definitely see that and that i think is more of a millennial 80s 90s 
type mentality of we, we follow the team at all costs. And I think in today's era, it kind of hurts you to have that mentality. You just got to kind of suck it up. But, it, you know, there are times where you, you know, look at Oklahoma City's roster the last, between the last three to four years, it's, it's been completely turned over. And most, most fans of their really good teams wouldn't recognize one player on that new team. And that's just the reality of the league. So I, I agree with pros, not much you can do about it. Movement's going to continue to happen all over the place and you just got to try to figure out your niche as a fan essentially yeah i mean look it's not real like i i could see some team you know player that plays for certain organizations it's a shit show and you're like come on man like you know i'm just gonna get hurt or we're not gonna win but you know sometimes it's just you know there's nothing you can do like you said is i mean you can't really have a rule where where if a player wants to leave they can't leave you know for their whole career it would be cool don't get me wrong but like it's just, you just can't do anything about it. And look at, you know, look at the, like, supposedly the best culture in the league. You had San Antonio that lost Kawhi Leonard. You know, they had all these guys for you know, Hall of Famers that stayed for 15 years or so with Duncan, Ginobili, Parker. And now they got, you know, they get Kawhi Leonard, you think is going to stay for his whole career, and then he goes. So it's like no organization and no players sort of above or below it. It's just, it affects everybody. And it's just something the league has to deal with. But again, the league's all about highlights. It's all about so- sound bites. It's all about tweets. It's all about Instagram. It's all about just the entertainment of the league. And then the team's got to figure out how to just stay competitive and, and just stay, you know, stay viable. And it's, imagine how it's hard for LA and, you know, like teams like LA and Miami to keep relevant. How about small market teams Oof. that, you know, team, your players are always looking to get out of. It's, yeah. it's tough, man. It's, it's a tough environment. One thing I want to see, Pro, I want to see one team in the next few years get a trade request from one of their own superstars and saying, no, you're staying on the roster. We're not moving you. Yeah. I just want to see it just once. You don't. You just don't see it. Like the Harden thing, for instance, I would have loved to have seen a team that has a superstar with at least two years remaining just say, no, nah, we're not trading you. So figure it out. What do you want to do? Like, do you want to not play and we'll just find the shit out of you? I just, I mean, it's not a good result for anyone. But I think the leverage has swayed, as I'm saying this as a player, the leverage has swayed so far towards the players that it is a tough spot for teams. It's like we're building around this superstar and then is he going to be, is, is something going to get him, like we didn't have the right kind of food in the locker room after a game and he's pissed off about it. He's going to ask, you know what I mean? Like it's hard to build around that, but I want, I just want a team out there just once to be like, nah, we're not moving you. You can stay here for the next two years and sit on the bench if you want. We're not moving you. I mean, for the most part in free agency, these guys are going to lose them for almost nothing. Very few guys. I know. I know. When like LeBron left Cleveland, they they got him into some type of a sign and trade where they got they got something for him, like a pick or something. You're going to probably lose him for almost nothing anyway. Now you might get him early enough, like the Harden thing, where you can get a lot of assets back. But like, yeah, I mean, it's going to take one owner to say, you know what? No, like we gave. Like, look, you you wanted this max deal, we gave it to you. You know where we put talent around you we're spending our money we're promoting you everything is good we're treating you well you know you're in a good city like no you're gonna play like and if you don't want to play it's fine we'll just find you and it is what it is but we're not gonna just like we're not gonna jump how high we're not gonna ask you how high you want us to jump just because you know you're not a hundred percent happy here now easier said than done because if you lose that player like if you're like say if you say minnesota and it's hard to get a great player in Minnesota unless you draft them and things like that. But like, if you don't, you know, it's hard to recreate those players. I get it. But like one of these owners, 
and it's easy for me to say it in a chair in Dallas, but it's, um, you know, one of these owners got to say, no, you know, like, look, it, it, it's one thing if like we lost all of our talent, it's just you and a bunch of low level players and you're going to get your ass kicked every night. But if we get good players around you and just because you want to be in LA versus want to be in Dallas or want to be in, you know, want to be in like Philadelphia, then we're not going to just say, yeah, that's fine. You know, there there's some circumstances where you got to say, you know what? No, nah, not today. Fuck that. We, we've done too much. You know, we're going to continue to fight through this. But it's hard. It's hard for owners because if you're losing for nothing, then you might be in mediocrity for a decade. So especially the funny one is those those max superstars that basically build their roster <laughs> like, like the dude that's yeah. like, yeah, like LeBron was somewhat you know, responsible for what Cleveland was left with once he left. Like, they just had a, ba- a yes. bunch of bad contracts and then they did kind of everything they could and LeBron left, which is, you know, whatever. He's gone to LA and he's doing a great job, won a championship there. But that's the other flip side of things. There's these organizations that basically get on their knees for some some players to be like, what do you want? You want this big guy from here? Yep, trade for this guy, sign my boy here to a free agency deal, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then a year later they leave and now that team's left holding a bag of bad contracts that were role-playing bad contracts for that Superstar, that's the other flip side of things where teams can get pissed off and be like, holy shit, we've dug ourselves a hole now. We got to try to. And Cleveland was kind of stuck in that realm the last couple of years since LeBron left. And like you said, it's just something, something that goes in that business. Yeah. Tristan Thompson, there was a lot of big contracts being signed. Look, everybody wants to be San Antonio and Miami, but when it's time to be Miami and San Antonio and do the tough things and tell, tell a player no, a lot of organizations don't do it. You know, Miami was awesome in the sense that I would assume it's true because so many people say it when those guys wanted to get Spolster fired early on when they were struggling. And Pat Riley was like, fuck no. No, we run the team. You play. We run the team. We're not going to do what you say just because you're superstars. You're going to fucking, we're going to figure it out together. And that's what we're going to do. We're not going to hire your boys. We're not going to, you're not going to dictate what we do. That's what San Antonio, being San Antonio, Miami is. It's like, when that shit becomes hard, that's the same thing when everybody wants to be like Kobe, but nobody wants to fucking work out at 5 a.m., you know, when he fucking works out. Like, same thing with those organizations. Like, being in Miami and San Antonio isn't drafting fucking Duncan, Ginobili, and all those guys. That's part of it. Part of it's having a culture that they fucking stick to every day, regardless of if things are going well or, or, or bad. Yeah. Problem with pro sports in general is when shit gets hard, that's when everybody reverts back to their old ways. Instead of being like, no, 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 no. We we fucking sticking through this shit because here's our plan and we gotta stick to it. Yeah, you know, it, that's why most organizations aren't Miami. They're not San Antonio. They're not Oklahoma City. You know, they're they're not Boston. They're you know, it's tough. That's why there's four, five, six good orga- really good organizations, and then there's a bunch of People that just do it the same way yep. and they do it the wrong way. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. And that's that's why I'd like to see someone just eventually put their foot down and say no, but um, we'll see. We'll, I, doubt, I doubt that's going to happen, but we'll see. The last one, speaking of Miami, if you were a free agent, you could pick any team in the NBA to join based purely on city, stadium, climate, or any other intangible except for the players on your team or your roster, what would you choose? And for me, it would be Miami. Um, good weather, good food, good culture, and no state tax. So, all wins in my book. What about yourself? Yeah, fuck that. I'm Miami myself. I'm a Disney guy, so yeah. 
<laughs> I'll, uh, I'll go Miami weather. I could go to Disney World, you know, on, on off days. Fuck that. That's where I'm going. I love LA. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I like Florida a little bit more yeah, than LA. But Manhattan Beach is my favorite place on earth. I was in LA for a year and I, I did not, I did not enjoy living there at all. I enjoy visiting LA. I like getting in and getting the hell out of there after a couple of days, but living there, I just, yeah, the traffic, the people, the crowds, no matter where you go, you're stuck in a rat race um, and it's, you know, very polluted and whatnot and just was not a fan of it, but some people are. And I guess I didn't have any plastic surgeries to fit in either, so <laughs> that kind of uh, all worked itself out. Yeah, I got Miami. All right, story time. This one is a little random, but um, I've got a few good stories along these lines. I'll just give everyone one. I'm going to talk about obviously becoming a well-known personality somewhat, especially in Australia, and going out and getting into it with people at a bar or a club. Now, there are people that will try to have a shot at you just because they know who you are, and I've, I've dealt with that and sometimes poorly, but I have a pretty funny story and um, basically went to a nightclub in Melbourne called CQ. It was a, a pretty good hangout. I used to go with a few friends of mine. So, I go one weekend with some of my friends. I had a few friends that were cigarette smokers, so- we used to go out to the balcony basically as much as they smoked, which was every 30 minutes it seemed. So, we'd walk out to the balcony, they'd have a cigarette, we'd come back in. So, I'd just go with them because I'm obviously with them. And we, this nightclub, you had to kind of walk through this. It was almost like a little lounge room to get to the balcony. So, it was a separate room. So, I'm walking out through the uh, through that little room and there's a little couch there and there's a guy there's a guy sitting on the couch with his girlfriend and he, he looks up at me and gives me the, oh, hey, Bogan, you know, where, where's all your girls, mate? You know, like- Trying to say, like, you know, you don't have any girls here. And I'll just mind my own business, like, dude, like, this guy just having a shot at me for no reason. So, of course, bro, I, I, <laughs> I fire back and said, if I, uh, if I had any girls with me, that'd be better than the one that you're with right now. And I didn't know it was his missus oh, or, his, or his girlfriend or his wife, whatever it was, right? But I just said that as I kind of kept walking, right? Thought nothing of it. So, I get out, get outside. My mates have their cigarettes. Night's over. Nothing happens, right? So, cool. Go home. Totally forget about it. I was there two weeks later. Same situation, go out, friend wants to go and have a cigarette, so I go outside. I'm with one of my good friends, Marco, who I've spoken about on the My Journey pod, mm -hmm. and a few other mates, uh, another friend who's a security guard um, who can kind of go, um, and, and another friend of mine. And I'm, they're leaning against the balcony rail, and I'm, I'm kind of facing the balcony, right? So, I'm just standing there, mind my own business, we're talking shit, having a drink, and Marco taps me, and he's like, do you know this girl behind you? And I'm like, I turn around, and there's a girl dancing, and she's got both her middle fingers up to the back of my head as she's dancing, right? So, so I turn around, and I'm <laughs> like, I had no idea what was going on. I couldn't remember this, never, never seen this girl in my life, or so I thought, right? So, then I'm looking back, and I'm like, and he's like, yeah, this girl's like flipping you off, man. So, I turn around, and it's, it's the guy and his girl from two weeks before, right? But I, I kind of didn't click for a while. So I'm like, okay, like what's going on? So I turn around and um, I'm like, you know, what, what's the problem? Like, you know, they, they're basically laying into me, swearing, you know, you're a dickhead, all this kind of stuff. So I'm like, cool, whatever. So I'm sitting there and I've, I've had like more than a few drinks, probably had five or six drinks. And I still remember <laughs> having a glass or a bottle in my hand. And I was getting so angry, man, because like this, they're just basically abusing me, just wanting me to do something. So I was like calculating mm -hmm. in my head, like if I if I punch this guy or throw this glass at this guy or whatever, like how much money am I looking at? <laughs> like, is it going to cost me 500K a meal? So I'm going through all this in my head, like, and my friend like across the way sees me just like kind of going blank, right? So he comes up to me, grabs my mm -hmm. arm, takes the glass out of my hand. He's like, like, we've got this. If something goes down, just relax. And I'm like, man, like, so I turned to the dude and he was hiding behind his girlfriend or wife, whatever it was, and he's abusing me behind his girlfriend. So I'm like, look, 
said, dude, let's just go outside, man. Like, if you want to, you want to do this, you and I just go outside. My mates will stay here. Your mates stay here. We'll go outside. We'll figure it out, right? And just wouldn't. He's like, no, nah, if you're gonna do something, do it here. And I'm just like, oh, you know, he's just baiting me into into doing it, right? So I'm like, didn't do anything. Anyhow, I walk back to the bar. There's a bit of a scuffle. So if people notice something was going on. I walk back to the bar. Security guard, a Maori fellow who was a friend friend of my sister's, funnily enough, comes up to me. And he goes, I'm blah, blah, blah. I know your sister. What's going on? And I said, oh, no, no big deal, man. The guy just had a few drinks. Like, don't worry about it. And he's like, no, no, tell me. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. We're just going to go to the other side of the bar and don't worry about it. So then he grabs me by the shirt, the security guard, grabs me and goes, tell me tell me what the F happened, man. Like, this is my place. Like, no one messes with you, this, that. And I was like, well, kind of extreme. So I was like, look, man, the guy with that shirt on down there was just being an idiot. And he's like, which guy? I'm the guy in the white shirt. <laughs> so he goes up to this guy and like basically- He's a security guard of the club. He goes, what'd you say to Tandra? He's like, oh, no, he's, he's a dickhead. So, then slaps the guy. So, I'm like, oh, boy. They basically dragged this guy out of the nightclub, right? Which I didn't really want, but whatever happened. So, I don't I don't really pay no notice once he's taken out. They don't take the, the girl though, right? So, I'm like 10 minutes later standing at the bar with my friend Marco. I've got a hat on. And I just get railed from behind. <laughs> so, this chick, this chick's just waited like a champ in the shadows biting her time and just railed me in the eye <laughs> like punched me with a like finger sticking out like a like a girl punch you know uh, yeah straight in the eyeball man and that's sh- that hurt like shit like i was like i was like my eye was like just pissing water watering out and i, I go down i didn't go down my hat fell down and then i just remember my friend marco just basically ended up grabbing her by the hair just to get her like off me and they carried her out but just i thought i'd tell it just because the shit you got to deal with sometimes as a professional athlete or, or a well-known person um a lot of people think that you Jeez. you know then kind of are always you know instigated it or whatever but just something that i probably could have been a little could have been quiet receiving that comment from two weeks before but one of those funny stories that um that could have definitely went a whole different way if I if I probably had another five drinks, but um, that's the perils of of public life. I mean, do you have do you have a similar story at Sizzler or something like that? Shit, not not like that, but I guess um, first of all, I don't go out. I mean, look at me, I'm a fucking mutant. I'm not going out anywhere. So I was with the Celtics actually. We were um, I was traveling with Danny Ainge. I was working for him, and it was like early. It was like preseason. And we were heading down. Our team was playing New Jersey. And this is like in the middle of like the Antoine Walker trade. Like we, we were going to trade Antoine to Dallas. And like, you know, Danny's dealing with it in the car. He, he's got the car. Um, he's on the phone. And first of all, he's nego- we went to see like um, School of Rock with fucking Jack Black. He's negotiating a trade in the middle of the movie, which is the funniest shit in the middle of fucking Times Square in New York. And I thought it was, you know, pretty funny. So we go to the, we're going to go to the Yankee game, uh, the Yankee Red Sox game, uh, divisional series at New York, at Yankee Stadium. So I figure, all right, fuck it. I'm not much of a baseball guy, but I'll go. So I get like a Jordan sweatsuit on. I don't give a fuck about baseball, but you know, it's a playoffs. And so I thought I was going to sit with Danny and, you know, some people from the Red Sox. Well, Danny sits like first baseline behind the plate or whatever. I'm sitting in the fucking balcony by myself, like Yankee fans going nuts. I'm seeing girls get bitch slapped. I'm seeing girls get pushed, bears thrown on their heads, guys getting in fights. And this is before the game starts. So I'm just like, get me the fuck out of here. I couldn't name three Red Sox, Yankees combined if you fucking paid me. So I'm sitting there and this Yankee in, in New York and Boston hate each other. Like, they, you know, Yankee Red Sox fans, they fucking hate each other. And I'm just sitting there. I, I I got a single seat. Danny's down there, you know, down in the great seats. I'm in the in the way up. Great seat, but I, it's way up. 
So I get this Yankee guy. He goes, you're from fucking Boston, aren't you? I go, no, 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 no. I'm from New York, brother. All right. I'm from New York. I just want to watch the game. He goes, well, name me the fuck, name me like two Yankees. And I fucking could, like, I remember Jeter was on a Gatorade commercial and I was like, Jeter. He goes, fuck you. Start spitting on me. I like, you know, I, I just like, bro, come on. Security had to come over like twice. So finally I'm like, fuck this. Let's go at it. I'm fucking praying because the Red Sox were up like eight nothing. I'm going to get stabbed and fucking sauteed <laughs> like a fucking pig and thrown off the fucking, thrown into the fucking, you know, off the, off the top fucking balcony. Thank God fucking Aaron Boone hits this fucking home run. The, the Yankees come back from eight nothing to fucking win it in like either extra innings or the ninth. Once that fucking ball hit the bat, we were about to fight. I fucking booked it up the fucking stands because <laughs> I thought I was going to get fucking killed. So. That was my one time I was I was gonna go out, bro. I had a fucking Jordan sweatsuit on, not giving a fuck. Like that's why, like I don't like sporting events like that because people just they're just stupid. This rivalry stuff, fighting people because of what jersey you got on. I wasn't cheering. I wasn't doing anything. I was just sitting there, just fucking just zoning out. And this fucking asshole threatened me for about eight and a half innings till I couldn't take anymore. But then <laughs> as I got up to try to fucking do something about it, which I couldn't fight my way through a fucking paper bag, the fucking Homer hits and I fucking book it up the steps. I, I, I never ran so hard in my fucking life. Yeah, lost some calories probably too, which is good. Oh, fuck. Yeah, probably <laughs> broke three hips while I had it, but fuck it. <laughs> Not as good as the story as yours, but pretty funny. Did you think you thank Danny Ainge? Yeah, fucking Ainge is the best. He was fucking hilarious. He was laughing the whole time. It was like, it was just unbelievable. The whole thing, driving down, negotiating a trade in Jack Black. We go to a Yankee game. I'm thinking, like, I'm not a big time or anything, but I'm just thinking, all right, we'll have some pretty good seats, grab something to eat. You know, and at the last minute, he goes, oh, by the way, you're up in the balcony. I'm like, oh, what the fuck? And then I get threatened, like, all right, fine, I'm in the balcony, I'm good. Just let me sit for a few hours, just enjoy it, nice fall night. And then this fucking asshole threatening me. Oh, God. You know, Ainge is fucking laughing. I said, yeah, you're fucking, you're in there with like nine billionaires behind eating fucking, you know, sushi and, you know, eating sushi and caviar. I'm fucking, th you know, I'm in the fucking jungle fucking, you know, trying to fight for my life. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, lift to see another day, but that's just the, f the fun of sports and sports people and yeah the i've got plenty of i've got some other good nightclub ones um which i'll tell down the line but um basically after i ever would get in little scuffles or whatever i'd i'd uh immediately go on a hoops hype the next day <laughs> just yeah. to make sure there was a few that there was one that ended up in hoops hype, which i'll tell another day which was the national team but well, that wasn't my fault at all yeah i'd always i'd always log on a hoops hype and be like holy shit i hope this isn't on a hoops hype because it'd be the off season in the nba i didn't want you know, Milwaukee Bucks at the time or Golden State Warriors to think I was some degenerate that was just out drinking until 5 a.m. But um, they're just the, <laughs> the, the fun of being a, you know, being in sports or a sporting personality. But um, that wraps up episode nine. Thanks, Pro. We'll, uh, we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks, folks. Don't forget, at Rogue Bogues on Twitter, Instagram, Rogue Bogues on Facebook, Rogue Bogues on YouTube, all good platforms have our podcast. So subscribe, share. Get involved with the Q&As. We love to hear from fans out there and we'll hopefully get one of your questions on next. Thanks for the support.